Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Hear now God's Word. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. As we study together the epistle to the Ephesians, I want you to know that I too am learning as I go. That's part of the work of the pastor is to study in order to have something to feed the sheep. I've often described pastors as being somewhat like a cow that grazes and then ruminates in order to be able to then feed. And so, likewise, we study God's Word in order to discover gold and silver. And as a result, I also study, the reason I have a library full of books is I study other ministers who have gone before me to plow that ground and to discover those Nuggets, those riches. I'm learning a lot as I prepare these meals from Ephesians for you, and I'm thankful for the ingredients that I've been given. I'm especially indebted to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones for his insights into this amazing letter of the Apostle Paul. His eight-volume series of sermons has been eye-opening for me, and I'm thankful to be able to pass along many of the things that I'm learning from him. Last Sunday, I asked you to listen with your heart and not just with your head, to look to be moved by the Holy Spirit, to feel a passion for the things of God. And I'm going to ask you again today to continue with this self-conscious way of hearing that goes beyond the ears, that goes beyond the head, but sinks down into the heart. We began to look more closely at this prayer in the third that we find in the third chapter of Ephesians. Just think about that. We have the actual prayer of the Apostle Paul. As he prays for the Ephesian Christians, he takes them and he takes us to very lofty places for people who are still earthbound. But as we think about the difficult circumstances of the Ephesians and even the difficult circumstances of the Apostle who's in prison as he writes this letter, I would ask you, how would you have prayed for the Ephesians? How do you pray for each other? I mentioned this Wednesday night pointing out that our first tendency is to pray for a change of circumstances. Whatever our difficulties are, be it poor health or financial problems or whatever struggle we're having, 
we want to pray for it to go away. We want that pressure, that difficulty to stop. And we certainly have a number of examples of this kind of prayer in the Bible. And so it is certainly one of the things that we should ask for, pray for. And sometimes God is pleased to change our circumstances. After all, he's not under the circumstances. He's over the circumstances. For example, Paul himself asked God to remove the thorn that was in his flesh. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read concerning this thing, I I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might remove it from me. Now, we don't know what that thorn was. We don't know if it was a literal physical ailment or some other trial, and if that was just a metaphor for that. But whatever it was, Paul said he, he was pleading with the Lord to change his circumstances, to take it away. And God's answer to Paul was, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And I think it's worth noting Paul's response to God's answer. It's like we, we have a conversation going here. Paul says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, in this prayer in Ephesians 3, Paul does not pray for a change of circumstances, not for the Ephesians who are going through some difficulties, nor for himself, again, writing this from prison. Instead, he prays this in verse 16, that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. He's primarily concerned about the spiritual aspect of their lives, about how they are responding to the circumstances that they're in. This is consistent with what Jesus taught when he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. I remember some years ago reading an R.C. Sproul book, I think it's the book on holiness, where he says God is far more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. We see this in Peter's exhortation in 1 Peter as he's writing to a dispersed and persecuted church. He says, in this you greatly rejoice even though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been distressed by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, which perishes, though tried by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God has a purpose that's bigger than the circumstances. Even though now you might be suffering, if necessary, and God's the one that determines whether it's necessary, we have to see the bigger picture. God's doing something in me. He's doing something in you. We should notice that Paul is not making light of anyone's problems. The world, you see, is primarily focused on your happiness by any means. That's really the promise of every idol. Let's numb the pain. Let's escape the pain. At all costs, seek pleasure for yourself. The Bible doesn't promise that all your difficulties will go away when you follow Jesus. Jesus said, in this world you will have 
many tribulations. And Luke records in Acts 14, 21 through 22, that when Paul and his party returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, they were, quote, strengthening the souls, the inner man, if you will, of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And Paul warns the Philippians, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Indeed, Paul tells Pastor Timothy at Ephesus when he writes to him in the second epistle to Timothy, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we shouldn't be surprised at the state of the world because we've been told what the effects of sin are. And as long as there's sin, there will be trouble. There are no simplistic answers and there are no shortcuts. I think a lot of what happens in cheap versions of Christianity is we're looking for those shortcuts, the magic words. If we pray this particular prayer, then all of this will go away If we can just do it a certain way, we can get the result that we want. But the first, the primary way of dealing with problems is not to deal with them, but to deal with us. What's our spiritual state? What is our spiritual attitude Are we strong in the inner man? God may allow you, by the way, to continue in your problems until you learn to respond to them in a godly manner. That's the purpose of a test and a trial. And if you fail the test, then he says, well, you haven't learned that lesson yet. I'm going to keep you there until you learn it. The problem itself might be the very judgment against the sin that is causing the problem. It's almost cyclical. You see, we're attacked from many different directions, from within and without, and so we need to build up resistance. We need to be strengthened in the inner man. Our immune system needs to be strengthened. We have to be healthy if we are going to be more than conquerors. We need to be able to say what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18, For our light affliction, imagine Paul saying that. We know what Paul went through. Paul describes everything he went through as our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now there's godly perspective. This light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen, that is this problem, these trials, are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The inner man, that is the heart, is where all the action is. Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. To reiterate, the real problem is not our circumstances or temptations, but rather how we meet those circumstances and temptations. 
Two people can have very similar situations, very similar problems. One falls and the other stands. The difference is the heart, the inner man. Jesus stated this from another direction in Mark 7. He says, what comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of, heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a man. So there's something else coming out of this inner man. But now in Christ, there is a new man. Ezra gives us the same idea in this lovely statement. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I like a statement I saw which says, it's not happy people who are thankful, but thankful people who are happy. It's attitude or perspective which comes from the inner man. Paul's prayer places this idea in a rich context. And by the way, it just it occurs to me, sometimes we have a, a sense of how this works. We can have all kinds of things that upset us, little things keep us grumpy, on edge. And then somebody gets sick or hurt or we get that phone call and all of a sudden all of that goes to the side. We're, we could care less about those little aggravations and tr- because our perspective has changed. Everything's been put in order. And those don't matter one little bit. I don't care about that. I remember, I've shared this with you before, the story of C.C. Jones when their house burned down in the 1800s. Lost everything. And as the house is still burning, they gathered across the street to pray and to thank God because their lives had been spared. All of a sudden in his prayer, he says, all those things that God gave us here that eventually he was going to take away when we or take us away from them, It was his pleasure to take them away from us and spare us. So our perspectives can change very quickly, and and that, I think, illustrates somewhat of what I'm talking about, about how we see our circumstances, whether or not we see the hand of God in it. And so, Paul's prayer places this idea also in a very rich context. He says this, that He would grant you, that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. So let's talk about the inner man. Paul describes the inner man this way in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, physical bodies, and the inward man is being renewed day by day. Again, in Romans 7.22, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. And so there are two men in him and in us. They pull in different directions. They, in many ways, work against each other. There's the old, natural, sinful nature, and there's the new man in Christ. Paul will go on to say in the next chapter of Ephesians, Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so it is certain that the outer man, the old man, is going to more and more really become an old man. 
He's dying every day. But if you're in Christ, there's a new man, there's an inner man that's growing stronger every day. It just occurs to me that maybe this is uh, maybe this is one of those illustrations off the top of the head I will regret because uh, it might not work. But somewhat like the, uh, the caterpillar that goes into the cocoon. You know, there's this shroud around the caterpillar, this picture of death. But there's something going on inside, something transformational, something radical, something amazing, something miraculous, a resurrection when the butterfly emerges in all of its glory and beauty. That's a picture of what's happening in us. And so, the one is passing away, the other is growing. This is the principle that is at work for those who are truly in Christ. But of course, this needs to be nurtured and strengthened. We can't afford for the inner man to remain infantile and immature. If we are to make progress, then the inner man has to be strengthened. Remember that part of Paul's prayer is that you may be, uh, the goal is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the goal. And so, why does our inner man need to be strengthened? I want to mention three ways here. First, the first reason is that we start out as babies. This is how Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Babies are just getting started. They're weak. They need to be strengthened. Lloyd-Jones offers this description of a baby. He's weak. He is ignorant. He is innocent of many things in the world that are around about him. And he does not have an immunity against the things that are liable to attack him. That is always the characteristic of infancy. That is why the child has to be protected by the parents. Obviously, he, doesn't, he does not know. He does not understand. He takes everybody at their face value. He takes the world as it is, and he sees everything superficially. Children assume that they know more than they do and that they're stronger than they are. This is also true of the spiritually immature. Sometimes we hear a person in the world boast of having street smarts. And what they mean by that is they recognize that they see and know certain things that perhaps other people don't see and know. Other people are naive. And so they see themselves as very smart when it comes to those things, but the street smarts, the people, the street smart people are often very blind themselves. You see, there is a spiritual street smart that the new Christian doesn't see or know. They assume that they know more than they do. They assume they're stronger than they are. And so when the problems come, and they always do, they fall. They might even backslide from the faith. Because they weren't as smart as they thought they were. So, we're babies. That's one reason. Number two, we need to be strengthened in the inner man because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In Ephesians 6, Paul says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, 
against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. We not only have to deal with our own ignorance and our own sin nature, but there is also this invisible and external threat. The devil is not only powerful, he's cunning and he's subtle. If you haven't read it, many of you have, read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. Great illustration and picture of how the devil works. Paul warned the Corinthians that Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And so we need strength in the inner man in order to resist the devil. And the Bible says if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Which means that if we are not strengthened in the inner man, that we will not resist him and he won't flee from us. Third, we need to be strengthened in the inner man to receive the fullness of God. Our capacity needs to be expanded. We don't start with the ability to comprehend all that we need and all that we have in Christ. And I fear that this is where many of us fall short. We are thimbles rather than barrels. We're satisfied with a little, and as a result, we never make progress. We think that's some form of humility. Oh, this is enough. Just a simple faith in Jesus. I'm, I'm just not a very complicated person. I don't, that's a false humility. You are simple, and you are, but you are complicated. And so don't deceive yourself. If you've been called to follow Christ, you've been called to follow Him all the way. To follow Him into the depths. To grow. To mature. To become more than you were. We are like those that Paul wrote to at Corinth where he said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. And likewise in the book of Hebrews, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles, the ABCs of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, mature, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, strength, inner strength, comes by way of exercise. Specifically, exercise in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Excuse me, Word of God. This enables spiritual discernment and makes you able to see the true difference between good and evil. See, people assume that that's easy to do. Everybody knows what's good and evil, right? No. We've got a world full of people that calls evil good and good evil. We need a corrective lens. We need God to teach us otherwise, to see differently. This is Christian maturity. And then I want to finish with, in what ways does the inner man need to be strengthened? And I want to give you three ways for that as well. First, our spiritual minds need to be strengthened. The mind is part of this inner man. We are all riddled with doubts and, with spirit, and we are all spiritually insecure. 
There's the problem of depression. We can go from happy to dull in a heartbeat. We live in a world where what they want to do is fix that, dull that, get, you know, address the pro- not the problem. The under- underlying problem is the inner man. So we want to often address just the externals, whatever makes me feel good. There are evil thoughts, which Paul describes as the fiery darts of the wicked one. We also have to struggle with wandering thoughts. We can read the newspaper without any trouble, but we have a hard time reading our Bibles. Listening to a sermon requires too much effort for a weak mind. And we also need our minds strengthened in order to receive the truth of the gospel. It is simple in one sense, but it is so profound in many other ways. The weak mind cannot discern the things of the Spirit. Second, our hearts need to be strengthened. And the heart is part of the inner man too. Our feelings, our passions, our emotions We are overcome by many fears. We are easily discouraged. We give in to speculations. And Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And third, we need to have our wills strengthened. The will is part of the inner man. How often do we resolve to change and then fail? We must remember that it is God who works in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. And so the inner man is weak and in need of strength. And you can't make yourself strong. If you will be strengthened in the inner man, it will have to be God that does it. And thus, Paul prays for this, and we should pray for this. Notice that Paul's prayer asks that God would grant this to you that you would be strengthened in the inner man. We all suffer from seeking to be self-sufficient. How much did you pray this week? How much did you pray before you came today about worship? We're self-sufficient. We've got that. We don't need that. We, We can handle this all by ourselves. In large measure, that was part of the problem with Adam and Eve, which led to the fall. They thought they could handle it themselves. They wanted to determine good and evil for themselves. They, and we like them, want to be in charge. I can do it. That's the mantra of a six-year-old. I know. I can. I can do it. But you see, what Paul is teaching us here and what the Bible is teaching us is that we need a gracious grant from God, a gift. We need something outside ourselves. We need Him to give us something that we don't have ourselves. We need His strength. And Paul goes on to enhance this when he says, according to the riches of His glory. Have you tapped into that account? Do you draw on that reservoir? Our inner man is only strengthened by Him. Let's pray. May we be earnestly intercessors for Your people as Paul was.
praying for them continually, seeking diligently their spiritual welfare, welfare and growth in grace. We ask that these qualities that Paul asked for the Ephesian Christians may also be given to us, that we too will be discerning and loving and strong and wise and filled with all the fullness of God and strengthened in the inner man. Let us not be satisfied without growth in grace and holiness and without spiritual maturity. Let us long for these things and earnestly seek you until you give them to us. Let us long to see them in others and use us to bring about the desire for them and the realization of them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Peter closes his second epistle with these words. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. So, we know beforehand, because we have Bibles, we have the church, and therefore we have no excuse from falling away from our steadfastness. The fact that you are physically present at church and not at home is a very good start, but it's not enough by itself. We need to be sure that we go all the way with God. We need the inner man to be present as well. We need the whole man engaged in service to God if we are to receive his promised blessing. The table is the apex of our worship service, the place where we come to renew covenant with God, to remember what we've forgotten, to renew our promise to him and to be strengthened in the inner man so that we might go forth and live to God, live God-glorifying lives. And so here, we are to be nourished. Here, we are to grow. Our Heavenly Father and Savior, keep us as the apple of your eye. Hide us under the shadow of your wings. Keep our souls and deliver us. Let us not be ashamed, for we put our trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve us, for we wait for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your sheep eternal life and for the promise that we shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch us out of your hand. Father, we thank you also for the faithful saints that have gone before us who have provided the example of perseverance to the end. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, help us, we pray, to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and enable us to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We praise You for this finished work of salvation. Bless now this Lord's day. May we sanctify it unto You, setting aside our own labors and concerns. And may we delight in You and in one another. Bless our food and our conversation. And may they both be used for our good and for Your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. Grace be with you all. Amen.